I guess you could say we're working on a bit of a Beatles theme here at Christmas time at Calvary this year. Why, last Sunday, uh, Give Peace a Chance, and this week, All We Need is Love is the title. So it's like, Mounts, what are you doing? But what would you think if I told you that a fundamental way to understand the meaning of Christmas is to see that Christmas is about love? We don't often think of that term with Christmas. Oh, joy, check, joy to the world. Peace, oh, check, peace on earth, goodwill toward man. Hope, yeah, hope's in there. Love, Eric, I, I, I thought love was sequestered to Good Friday. Well, love is very much at the heart of the explanation in the New Testament for Christmas. I want to show you that this morning. And beyond showing you that, I want your heart to be moved by that. It is an amazing thought that the one who made everything that is could not love us more. And those of us who've embraced that love and carry that love forward carry something that is life-changing. It changes our perception of ourself. It changes our perception of our experience. It changes our perception of our past, our perception of our present, our perception of the future. He loved us and gave himself for us. In explaining Christmas, the writers of the New Testament go out of their way to accent love. So this morning we'll go two different directions. One, I want to show you two passages in the New Testament that present Christmas as a grand act of love. And then, before we leave, two questions that these two passages ask us. Because this isn't intellectual filler. God didn't send his son to satisfy our curiosity and, and give us religious Bible facts to win at Bible trivia when, you know, Christmas gatherings get a little flat and somebody plays that game. We are to have our lives marked by what God did for us in Christ. So let's go there. Let's start this morning in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Number one, love came wrapped up in a package of swaddling clothes. Luke 2.12 says, this will be a sign for you, message to the shepherds. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Often love is associated with Calvary, not Bethlehem. But you can't have one without the other. It's interesting, some see in the swaddling clothes while mothers have been swaddling their infants for millennia, wrapping them up tight to impersonate the security of the womb. Wrapped in strips of cloth, some have seen an anticipation of the death of Jesus and how mortal remains were prepared for burial in the first century in wrapping them in cloths and anticipating his death. But note from 1 John 4 and the other passage that we'll look at how the Savior's birth is tied inextricably to the Savior's death. 1 John 4, 7 through 14, the love of God was displayed at Bethlehem. Beloved, let us love one another, 
For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Hear the word of the Lord. This love of God was displayed at Bethlehem. Look at verse 9 of 1 John 4. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. In what, John? In this, he says. What is the antecedent for this? To what does this refer? It is the action of God making himself manifest, making himself known. It is the action of God sending his son. Now, there are two critical verbs here. One is in verse 9, and it's used only once. Was made manifest. In this, the love of God was made manifest, was made known, was made clear, was unveiled. In what? In the coming of Jesus. In Bethlehem. Was made manifest. Verse 9. Then the word sent is used. Verse 9, verse 10, and verse 14. It shows up three times. These verbs carry the mail for the meaning of Christmas. They tell us what happened. Eric, what happened at Christmas? God's love was made manifest. God loved, God's love was made known. God's love was revealed. God's love was disclosed. How was it disclosed? When was it disclosed? When he sent his son. And Bethlehem uncorked a very clear picture of the love of God. God acted in Bethlehem to reveal himself and make himself known. Andy and I lived for uh, about 16 years in a neighborhood. And, and uh, mercifully for us, we lived in the back end of the neighborhood and we could get in and out easily. But the neighborhood uh, was known all over our area as being the go-to place for Christmas lights, which meant in the boastful pride of life, people would have these... Um, um, you know, Geico commercial contest to see who could put the most lights on your house. And it got ridiculous. And, and people then all wanted to come and see it. So there'd be Greyhound buses driving through the neighborhood. And if you ever drew the short straw and had to drop off somebody's kid there, I mean, you were consigned to a long time getting in the neighborhood, then forever getting to their house as everybody's putzing through the neighborhood. It's like, oh, we lived in the back. We could get in and out easily. Uh, but Every year, that was the drill. 
And the time when it was all made known, the, how, how great their lights display were, it was Christmas. And you get some idea of the creativity of the household. Well, God made known, made manifest in this. The love of God was made manifest. His love at Christmas. Bethlehem is a love story. God made his appearance. He made it manifest. He displayed it for everyone to see. Jesus was truly on a mission from God to show us God's love. Inexorably, it got its start at Bethlehem, but it would proceed to the cross. Of course, Good Friday is a quintessential picture of love. Greater love is no one than this, and a man lay down his life for his friends. Uh, but as John unpacks love and understanding it, he argues that in this, the love of God was made manifest. That the coming of Jesus, Bethlehem, was a part of the expression of God's love for us. Jesus showed up to be given away. Jack Wurtson of former generation and Word of Life fame, his son married a lady who was a singer, Christine, and she was a recording artist for a while, and she had a Christmas album, and I remember there was one song on the album that Christine Wurtson, she had written it, and it was that Jesus was born in the shadow of the tree. And it's actually an insightful uh, lyric uh, describing Bethlehem, because that's true. But this love broke out. It was manifest when God sent his son. Now, Jesus shows up to be given away. Last Christmas, I remember I opened an envelope from a friend of mine from out of state who uh, uh, knows we're contemplating putting up this student activity center next to the firehouse. And he actually, he sent a nice gift. I thought, wow, that's great. And, and the check fell out of the envelope as I was reading, and I read the note. Uh, but, th but then I felt bad because uh, all great gifts cost something. And he wrote, you know, Eric, we're praying about this project. We're excited about the project. And it's, uh, it's, uh, we're with you in it and cheering for you. And uh, we decided that this year, rather than give gifts to our kids, <laughs> we, we would uh, send you this gift for, for, for the uh, you know, Student Activity Center. Well, I, I, I was thrilled for the Student Activity Center project, but I, I was kind of hoping that the kids wouldn't find out that I'd ruined their Christmas, you know. <laughs> because all great gifts cost something. As everybody sits here anticipating their visa bill and understands what that means, you know. All great gifts cost something. This great gift cost something. But it was God's yearning to make known and make manifest his love. Which means we wouldn't know of his love unless he had disclosed it. He had to make it clear or we wouldn't have gotten it. And wow, did he make it clear in the stable. But there was a purpose behind his sending. It wasn't so that once a year we'd stop and we would have whatever we're having each year at Christmas. But... He sent his son, according to verse 10, a very important verse, it had a purpose. The incarnation, God becoming man, had a trajectory. It was headed to the cross. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, 
but that he loved us. What did he do? And sent his son, what for? To be the propitiation for our sins. There it is. That Bethlehem set Christ on a course to go to the cross. And at the cross, the atoning sacrifice of Jesus resolved our sin. God was deeply satisfied, propitiated. God was deeply satisfied with the offering of his son Jesus that he himself had provided. The wrath due us, our hell fell on him so that we can have peace with God and have the righteousness of God by faith. So that we anticipate, if we've received Christ as our Savior, not a future of condemnation, but a future with our Lord. But it was God's love that moved him to send Jesus to offer his son. You have this strange phrase in Isaiah 53. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. You say, what in the world is that? God was pleased at bruising his son Jesus at the cross? Yes, because that was the means that he had ordained to bring us to himself. What a lover to pay such a dear price so that we could relate to him. To offer himself in human flesh so that our sin could be resolved and our guilt could be taken care of and we could live free of condemnation throughout our life. That's extraordinary. That's love. And that's what John is pointing out. But now not only does John point out that love is associated with Bethlehem, in this, the love of God was made manifest. God sent, God sent, God sent three times. Paul does as well. Come with me to Titus chapter 3 in verse, verses 4, 5, and 6. Titus 3, 4, 5, and 6. God's affection for humanity appeared in the stable at Christmas. But when the goodness, I'm reading Titus 3, 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared... He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Hear the word of the Lord. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, when did our Savior appear? You know, his appearance broke out at Bethlehem. Now, nobody noticed it. Nobody understood what it was. But there's a way of understanding, and it's the way the Apostle Paul is tutoring us to understand. There's a way of understanding the incarnation. There's a way of seeing Bethlehem as the place where God appeared in Jesus Christ. And his affection for humanity is seen in the stable. An appearance. An appearance of whom? An appearance of God. Now, in pop culture, there'll be a person, uh, and sometimes somebody will, maybe a, a social writer for uh, the Cincinnati Enquirer will figure out that uh, 
some person that somebody thinks is a big muckety-muck is coming into town for something. A few years ago, they filmed a movie in Cincinnati, a part of it, uh, Dark Waters. Uh, it's about a uh, uh, court case in Parkersburg, West Virginia, and DuPont, and um, um, Anne Hathaway uh, was the lawyer's wife. Uh, if you're a freak job like me, you'd kind of like that movie. But anyway, um, Anne Hathaway was in Cincinnati. And uh, it was heard that she was here. And so then there were people wondering, will we see an Anne Hathaway sighting in Cincinnati? Uh, will we see her? Uh, or is this strictly a business trip and nobody will see her except the, the cast and the set and those professionals working there? But they ask questions like that. Uh, uh, will there be an appearance? What is most amazing is that God appeared bodily in human history in the person of Jesus Christ. The infinite, eternal, self-existent God dwelling majestically in unapproachable light shows up in human flesh. Fully God, fully man, inseparably united, without division in one person, in the Christ child. God's affection for humanity appeared in the stable. What appeared? Look at verse 4. But when the two elements are accented, the goodness and loving kindness of our God. All right, if the appearance breaks out in Bethlehem, oh, what are we looking at? Embodied in Jesus. According to the Apostle Paul, we're looking at two things. Number one, the goodness of God. This is a beautifully rich term that at its heart has the notion of kindness. Of all the ways you conceive of God, do you consider him to be kind? God is kind. And long to share his kindness, his goodness, his generosity. That's at the heart of this notion. If you take the ingredients of kindness and you take the ingredients of goodness and you take the ingredients of generosity and you stir it up, you get this term right here. But when the goodness, it's translated goodness here in Romans 2, 4, the kindness of God leads us to repentance. It's translated kindness there. Both of them are correct. It's hard to get one English word that captures this. At the heart of it is, is deep goodness, massive generosity, wonderful kindness, that's what appeared in Jesus. But secondly, the, and here the, these terms could not be any more tender to us. Are you calloused in your response toward God? In your perception of him? Oh, he's kind to his own. He's tender to his own. When he appeared, what was it, Eric? What did we see? According to the Apostle Paul, we saw the goodness of God. We saw the loving kindness of God. Here is a, 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 a term built, kind of two terms jammed together. One, a term for love. The other, a term for, we could say humanity, or in general, we could say man. You have a picture of man loving. Nobody loves mankind like God loves mankind. And that is seen in the appearance of Jesus, who appears what do we see when he appears? 
We see the goodness of God. We see the loving kindness of God. And remember, that Old Testament concept of loving kindness was that dogged affection that is relentless and would not let us go. That's what we see appearing in Jesus, the goodness of God, the loving kindness of God. You ever run into a new mother, her firstborn, so proud, holding the baby, and you might be doting over the child and have the mother point to the baby and say, right here is a bundle of love. Well, never could that be more aptly spoken than as Mary held Jesus. Right here is a bundle of love. Notice Jesus appears, an expression of the goodness of God, an expression of loving kindness of God, but he appears on purpose to be a savior. That term shows up twice. Our savior, verse 4. Our savior, verse 6. It's about God acting. Remember uh, Titus 3, 5. Notice the actor. He saved us. We're recipients of the action of God. What kind of action was it, Eric? It was his goodness in movement forward. It was his loving kindness. It was his act to save us in his son. A quintessential act of love and affection. What did God do? He appeared. Why did he appear? He appeared to save us. Now, it's interesting, in verse 11, the Apostle Paul in the book of Titus likes this word appeared. Eric, what else happened in Bethlehem? Look at verse 11 of chapter 2. For the grace of God has, there it is, appeared. That's Bethlehem. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our Savior appeared. So here you have this mother load of grace, this mother load of goodness, this mother load of loving kindness shows up in Bethlehem. And hardly anybody noticed. But they would come to see him. And those of us who've been awakened by the Spirit of God to who Jesus really is have come to see him as an incredible expression of the love of God poured out for us. He appeared. Craig Worthington told me about the world's greatest athletic banquet, if you like basketball, that uh, Dayton High School ever had. He brought his annual in. It was May the 5th, 1972 in Dayton, Kentucky. And they were recognizing the athletes from the high school who had competed that year. But they had a special guest who was a speaker. And there was a lot of hubbub going on around that evening. It was quite an appearance. Because one John Wooden, and remember this is 1972, the basketball coach from UCLA, from 1964 to 1976, he won 10 of 12 national championships. Unheard of. It will never be repeated. But in the midst of that run, he flies into Cincinnati and shows up in Dayton, Kentucky at the high school. And they've never had an athletic night like that because it was the appearance of none other than the guy who used to coach the high school basketball team when he left Purdue, John Wooden. And it was a great night. And it lives, Craig will tell you about it, it lives in his spirit yet. It was fun talking to him about it. What an appearance. 
There was great hubbub there. What's extraordinary and quite an irony is this appearance in Bethlehem nobody noticed. Why, it was standing room only and the most solicited ticket in Dayton, Kentucky they've ever had in May the 5th, 1972. But at Bethlehem, nobody knew what was going on. Nobody was paying attention. God had to go out and coax some shepherds in to be a part of this appearing. Now, looking back, we understand it more than we ever did. Now, please understand that Bethlehem was the quintessential act of casting pearls before swine. This is what makes this appearing so extraordinary. This is what makes this sending absolutely incredible. This is what makes this manifestation of love so amazing. Remember, Jesus had said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 6, Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them. What does he do? He brings the pearl of great price to humanity, and humanity could have cared less. Hardly anyone noticed. You know who throws pearls before swine? Fools. Christmas teaches us that God is a reckless lover because he sent his son, notwithstanding humanity's broad disinterest in himself. What makes God's love stand in bold relief is who it is intended for. Me and you. Those having gone our own way. Those thinking first and most of ourselves rather than our creator who made us. Jesus was sent to a fallen world who opposed God. And Jesus was sent anyway. John Stott has said, the greatness of God's love is seen in its beneficiaries. For God gave us his son to die for us, undeserving sinners. He loved us and sent his son to rescue us, not because we are in any sense lovable. No, but because he is love. So the greatness of his love is seen in the costliness of his self-sacrifice for the holy undeserving. A clearer manifestation of God's love could not be imagined. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. And he sent his son for that very end to turn those sinful hearts back around toward him. They're called gold star families. It's American families who've sent a son or daughter off to the military into war, and they've become a casualty of war and been killed. Gold star families. Many of them have become embittered. And this is not a political statement. I'm just talking about the bitterness of giving up a son, a daughter, and such a cause. Because they've argued whether it was Vietnam or Gulf War I or Gulf War II or Afghanistan. They've argued, you know, how many times do we have to give back Hamburger Hill? They've, they've made movies about it, you know, in, in Vietnam before we conclude that maybe some of those deaths were senseless. Again, this is not a political statement. It's about the value of a life offered. Uh, you know, if you're at a forward operating base and coast in some remote region, next to the tribal areas in Afghanistan while you or next to the tribal areas in Pakistan while you're in Afghanistan 
and there's a loss of life, you know, what does that mean now? What will it mean in 20 years? And so it's like that seems to be in vain. That, that, that offered life seems to be in vain. Well, doesn't it stand to reason that if humanity is broadly disinterested in Jesus, that the offer of that life was in vain? God loves us so much he was willing to offer his son. And it all got its start in Bethlehem. And the New Testament writers accent the fact that this love was made manifest when Jesus came. So love is right next to Bethlehem. Senseless sacrifice? Absolutely not. Not in God's heart and mind. By the way, Living convinced that we are loved by God is an extraordinary way to live. Carrying in our heart a consciousness that he loved us and gave himself for us is enlivening and reshapes how we live, how we suffer, how we look at the past, how we experience the present, how we anticipate the future. It used to be an old gospel song that some would sing. It had a droney tune. But its message is really good. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves even me. Now, two questions confront us. Christmas is for our souls and our relatedness to God. This morning, these texts from 1 John 4, herein is love. Manifest to us in Jesus. The goodness of God, the loving kindness of God appeared in Jesus. Question number one, are we alert to God's incredible love for humanity? When we stare at the manger, we may have that tune in our minds, away in the manger. And that would certainly be appropriate. But as we stare at the manger, I want to encourage you to shift gears and also go to that song, Jesus Loves Me. This I know. Because in the manger is an extraordinary expression of the love of God. Herein is love made manifest that God sent his son. Christmas prepares us to receive Christ. Ephesians 2, 4, because of the great love with which he had loved us. When we recognize our sin and recognize that God sent a sin bearer and recognize the cost of him sending the sin bearer. If any of us are parents, here's an only child, the picture that God uses to Describe his extraordinary love as amazing. An only child offered up. And the willingness of God to do that, that, that's amazing. Because of his great love with which he has loved us, is how Paul describes it in Ephesians 2.4. But this is not only about us. Sure, God loves us. That's wonderful. But God loves our neighbor. Our neighbor disinterested in him. Our workmate, our classmate, our teammate, our boss, our subordinates, the checkout clerk, the bank teller. If you carry in your heart a notion of God's love for humanity, it'll reshape how you relate to others and you'll have his reaching heart for them. 
Is that us? Are we alert to God's incredible love for humanity? Secondly, has Bethlehem's love transformed our lives and our love for others? Back to 1 John 4, just listen to these two verses. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Hear the word of the Lord. God still loves people today in an extraordinary way that he makes his love for them made manifest is through our love for them. So where you are in your network, what do they know about the love of God because of the love of God that's flowing through you to them? Sacrifice is at the heart of love. It's hard. If you're a husband, if you're a wife, if you're married, and you don't know that love is hard, you don't understand love. It's about death to self. Look at Jesus. Love is about giving, giving up, laying down self. Is that what it looks like in your marriage? Is that what it looks like in your friendship circle and the bonds that you have with others? Has love gripped us? Are we loving? The fruit of the Spirit is love. We'll get there eventually in Galatians 5.22. Are we quick to love or quick to judge? Are we quick to be affectionate or quick to be critical? Are we quick to pour grace on life or dump truth by the truckload? Are we quick to be proved right or quick to be proved gentle? If you love it, Christmas will change our hearts and our minds Toward others, Christmas is much more than a holiday we have near the winter solstice. Christmas is about the transformation of our hearts in realizing what God has done for us in Christ. What is Christmas? How are we to experience it? Christmas is the greatest love story ever told. Roger and Nina Ambrose are now world famous for a father loving his daughter and a daughter loving her father. It would be something akin to Eric Mounts and Abby Gordon. And I know there are other fathers here who deeply love their daughters. Well, Roger and Nina had a famous relationship, have a famous relationship, and she loves him. They're in England. They're in Chelmsford. Roger is 77 now, and he's experiencing some memory issues. The, they're suspicious of the onset of Alzheimer's, and he's had to go into a home. But loyally and faithfully, out of her love, she regularly made the trek to the Manor Lodge care home, and her and Roger had famous visits. Then March came, and the pandemic hit. And for five weeks, she didn't see her dad. 
and he didn't see her. And it was very difficult to communicate anything. To add insult to injury, with the closing down of the economy, she lost her job and was unemployed and was sitting at home. And it dawned upon her one day that she ought to do something about this to change it because she couldn't stand not relating. So she conceived of a plan. She went and knocked on the door at Manor Lodge Care Home and she said, what do you need for me to do? I present myself to do it. She started as a volunteer and they eventually hired her, but all the while, out of her great love for her dad, there was no payment that she would have to offer in sweat equity that would keep her from being with her dad. She loved him so much that she was willing to pay whatever cost she had to pay so she could be with her dad. And so now, five days a week, as she's the activities coordinator at Manor Care Home, she and her dad are famously and sweetly enjoying the mutual love that they shared together. Eric, I don't get Christmas. What is it? It's God loving us so much and yearning to relate to us so well that nothing was too much to surmount so that he could come and we could stop with him and he with us. Oh, wow. The deep love the Father has for us. Thanks be to God. Father, thank you for your affection for us. How can a person be unmoved by you moving heaven and earth to appear sending your son so that we could understand love and understand you and your heart for us? Oh, Lord. Indeed, joy to the world. Indeed, peace to the world. Oh, God. Indeed, love. Great love of the world. Thank you. We come to you this morning.